Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would. Turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel this morning, chapter 1. 1 Samuel, chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. If you're in Psalms, you need to hang a left. You get to Genesis, you need to hang a right. But it's back in... uh, the Old Testament, one of the first few books of the Bible, 1 Samuel. So if you've taken your Bibles this morning and turned to 1 Samuel chapter 1 in honor of the reading of God's Word, would you stand with me as we read this morning? It says this, starting in verse 1, chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. Now there was a certain man by the name of Ramatham Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah, she had no children. Father, this morning, we have truly been blessed. We've truly been blessed to be in the presence of our Brothers and sisters in Christ in this place, the children of this morning have just stirred our hearts with your love, and we thank you for that. And now, Father, as our attention draws upon your word this morning, I ask this of you, that you make very little of me and very much of you, that you are all that's seen in this place this morning. And we ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's no secret today we celebrate Mother's Day. We celebrate Mother's Day. I don't know if you realize, but the Mother's Day celebration in the United States was started with a decision by Congress and a resolution signed by President Woodrow Wilson back in, on May the 8th of 1914. We've been at this a long time celebrating mothers, haven't we? And since that day, the U.S. has celebrated a second greatest gift, as you heard me tell the children that God ever, ever gave us. Uh, it only is topped by his son, Jesus Christ. You know, mothers are very special people. Now, as far as the origin of Mother's Day, now that's a whole different story. The origin of Mother's Day can be found back in a celebration of Reha. Reha is the celebration of mothers of gods, and it comes out of a celebration of the springtime from the Greeks. So there's kind of some mixed thoughts about this Mother's Day and the celebration of Mother's Day. You know, it's celebrated on different days all throughout uh, the world. In some places, it's already been celebrated in some kingdoms. And in our kingdom here in the United States today happens to be that day. But today, you know, we're celebrating much more than just Mother's Day. (laughs) Uh, We're celebrating the fact that God gave us mothers. You see, even in celebrating Mother's Day, we should look to the giver of the gift, who is God Almighty. And the best way, I think, to look at Mother's Day and to understand God through Mother's Day is is to look at what God gave us and what the characteristics are of a godly mother. So today, we'll look at characteristics of a godly mother. This passage that we read out of 1 Samuel 1 this morning comes in a very interesting time in Israel. It's a very interesting time. Israel, up until this time, has been under the leadership of the patriarchs. Names you may remember like Moses and Abraham and some of those other patriarchal leaders of of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, you can start when you go home this afternoon and read from Genesis up to this point and see who those patriarchs are. So until this time, they've, they've had patriarchal rule. 
Now you realize that uh, just a few short books of the Bible, we come to the point where Israel is called out that they want something that the others around them have, and they they move into a, a period of time, a period of time that kings are the leaders, and that's where you pick up in First and Second Kings and the other books of the Bible, looking at at those kings, kings such as uh, King Solomon, uh, King David, and and Saul, and the others that are mentioned. So here we are, sandwiched right between those two points in history history of Israel that we have the patriarchal leadership, the God-placed leadership, and then we have this king set up where the people of Israel decided they wanted a king. Well, well, who then rules in, in the middle uh, uh, here? Uh, uh, this time that we find ourselves in in 1 Samuel, who, who are the rulers? Well, the rulers during this time are the judges. This is actually the period of the judges is where we sit, and it's interesting I mentioned that to you because uh, the judge that is forefront in 1 Samuel, where we're starting out here, is the one who the book is named after, Samuel. So you kind of understand the importance of this book. So if there's any connection whatsoever to a mom, to Samuel here within this book, I think she would probably be a pretty important person. Because you find out in this very first section of 1 Samuel that the main character is not Samuel. It is actually his mom, Hannah. His mom, Hannah, which we'll look at as we move through the book. And it's under the judgeship of Samuel that we see the, the rise of this king Saul that comes with the kings. And if you remember uh, your Bible history, if you remember the stories of the Bible, it is through Saul that we make our way to King David. And it's through the lineage of King David that we have our king, King Jesus. So you see the importance of this little section of Scripture. And if there's an importance like that to the Scripture, there must be an importance to the mom of where all this started. So Hannah is an important part of the plan of God and the protection and the continuance of his people Israel as well as reaching all the way down through history to where we stand today and where our relationship is with God through Jesus Christ. So what is it about Hannah that is so special? What is it about Hannah that on this Mother's Day that mothers and the rest of us can take away from here something and, and that will bring glory to God like Hannah does in this story? I believe it is the characteristics of a godly mother that can apply both to the lives of mothers as well as to the lives of the rest of us who have mothers in our life. Because the Bible tells us that most of the things that we learn throughout our life, and especially it seems to be on our spiritual side, comes through our mothers. It really does. It comes through our mothers. So let's look at those characteristics. We'll just look at a couple this morning. The first characteristic of a godly mother that I see when I, I look at this particular passage of Scripture is that she has a right relationship with her husband. A right relationship with her husband. Our world today places a lot of pressure on women to be all that they can be in this world. Places a lot of pressure on them. And I believe that the role of a woman in the world today is a very important role. A very important role. But we must be careful who sets the characteristics of what a woman should be. You see the big Me Too movements today. The big Me Too movements. It's, it's going on in our world today and it seems that the focus of what a, a woman should be is rapidly changing in the eyes of this world. Rapidly changing. But church, we must remember that the creator of life is also the assigner of roles. The creator of life is also the assigner of importance. All of us stand on level playing field in the importance that we are to God, yet we all have separate roles in the world. 
we must be careful. We must be careful not to go with what the world thinks, but we must make sure that the plan for a mother, the plan for a woman, the plan for a wife in this world fits the plan of God. It fits the plan of God. No matter what we may think is best for our society, God's plan is the only plan that is correct. It is the only plan that will last for all of eternity. And in the life of Hannah, we see two attributes in her life that point us to the fact that a godly mother has a right relationship with her husband. So if the first characteristic is a right relationship with her husband, what are the couple of things within that that, that point to the fact that she has a right relationship? Look at that uh, verse 2. Look at that verse 2. And it says, And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. <laughs> you know, the first thing we're going to see is that she has a right spiritual relationship with her husband. Any woman that lives with another woman with one husband between them needs to have a right spiritual relationship with someone, don't they? <laughs> but you know, this raises a very interesting question whenever you read it. And, and you know how people take certain things out of context within the Bible and they apply it and say, this is what God really meant. So the question arises, is it okay to have multiple wives? I don't know if a man in the room is going to raise their hand and say they want two. Anybody? I don't. The one I've got has barely got me trained now. I'd hate to think there was two training me. But you know what? That, the question arises. Keep in mind that God's plan for marriage is one man, one woman for all of life. That, that's God's plan. That's God's plan for, for marriage. But somewhere along the way, man came up with this brilliant idea that maybe we should have more than one wife. If you actually trace it back, you'll find out it came from pagan roots. And, and somehow man thought this was a great idea, but understand this. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible do we find that God says it's acceptable to have two wives. So let's get that off our minds so we can move through the passage. The central focus is not the fact that he had two wives, but understand this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say man can have two wives. God in his sovereignty chose when men decided to have multiple wives not to bring judgment immediately upon them. That's why we don't see those things being dictated in the Bible saying, you know, we're just going to wipe out the whole world and start all over because man chose multiple wives. But think about the characters within the Bible that you know that had multiple wives, <laughs> what happened in their lives. There was deaths in families. There was a loss of wealth and possessions. There was bondage of peoples. There's this thing called judgment on your sin. And even though God didn't stop and wipe them out, Elkanah, for example, for having two wives, there was judgment that came. There was judgment that came. There's, there's consequences to disobeying God. There's consequences to sin. No matter what that sin is, whether it's multiple wives or whether it's, it's cheating on the one wife you have, whether it's, it's lying, cussing, murder, whatever it may be, there, there is a judgment on, on sin. There is a cost for sin. But aren't you glad to know that God allows repentance? Aren't you glad to know there's a cross and there's forgiveness? But aren't you also glad to know that God is a patient God? Sometimes even when we walk that path that is not God's plan, God's patience allows that path to take us to a point we realize our need to come back to Him or to come to Him for the first time in our life. You know, sometimes our poor choices 
are what drive us to the foot of the cross, both as a saved person for repentance, for sinning against a God who has saved us, and also as an unsaved person who realizes the path they've chosen for their life is headed to a place called hell, and that is not the destiny they want to be at. And those choices, those choices, through God's patience, draws you back to the cross. I'm so glad to know that God's a patient God because He really needs to be patient to love me. I'm also so glad to know He's a forgiving God and allows repentance. And we're going to see through this story that the theme is not the fact that he had two wives. The theme is not the, ta- the fact that he had two wives. See, verse tell, uh, 2 tells us that this polygamous relationship was not without its problems. It was not without its problems. It says that Penina, one of the wives, had children. It also tells us that Hannah had none. You can only imagine You can only imagine the problem. To us, this seems to be a function of nature, that some have children and some do not have children. And and, and let's just say this, not all women will will have children. Not all women will have children. Whenever we read down in in just a few minutes, you're going to find that down in verse 5, the statement is made, although the Lord had closed her womb. You see, it was understood that God's sovereign hand opens some and closes some, but here was this relationship with multiple wives. One, one wife had children and the other, the other wife did not have children. And, and not all barren wombs are because of, of sin in life. Some, some may be. That's a sermon for another time. But in the case of Jewish women, there was this issue. In the case of Jewish women, they saw barrenness as a sign that, that the person was out of favor with God. When they saw a woman that, that did not have children, they, they immediately thought, what has she done against an almighty God that he would close her womb? And you see that all throughout Scripture. So, so here's this, this Elkina El- that has, has two wives, one that's, that's very fruitful and one that has no children. You can imagine what, what others thought of her. <laughs> but most Jewish people, that was... Their sign, their outward sign of being blessed by God. When we feel like we're out of favor with God, you know what we tend to do? We tend to turn away from God. Have you ever noticed that in your life? When you think, when you think there's something that you've done in your life that that is, is so horrible before an Almighty God that His blessing isn't showing up in your life, our tendency is to turn away from God. I guess it's human nature. Whether we feel that God doesn't love us or, or, or maybe we're just angry with God over the circumstance we're in or, or, or maybe we think that we'll just do it our way and we'll just show you, God, we can still do it, whether you're blessing or not. But for Hannah, this is what's interesting. For Hannah, she didn't turn away from God. She turned to God. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Says this man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So it talks about this man, this man, Elkinah, the husband of the two wives. He he made this yearly journey. Why? Because El, Elkinah was, was uh, a, a God fearing man. 
See, he understood the rules, the regulations, the laws, the things that have been passed down from, from God. And we don't have time to read it today, but in Deuteronomy 16, Deuteronomy 16 lays out the, the worship of Israel, of this almighty God. And, and it says there in, in the 16th chapter of Deuteronomy that there were these certain feasts, these certain times that they were to come together corporately. Wherever the ark may be at that time, they were to make the journey there, the worship corporately. In that place together. And it was the feast of the unleavened bread. It was the feast of weeks. And it was the feast of tabernacles. And then in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 16. In Deuteronomy chapter 16. In that 16th verse. It says this. Three times in a year shall all the males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in the Feast of Weeks, and in the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Because on to say, every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. So there was this prescription in Deuteronomy that all the males were to go wherever God would choose for three times a year for these feasts. And they were not to come empty-handed. They were to come to worship God through the giving back of that which God had blessed them with. Now at this particular time, at this particular time in the life of Israel, the prescribed place for the three times of worship was this place called Shiloh. This place called Shiloh. We'll read about it a few minutes in this passage. It was this place called Shiloh. Verse 3 actually tells us that they went up there every year, every year for this feast. Now, me and you know, I think there's something interesting, even though this happens to be Mother's Day. I think there's something interesting in this passage to us. You know, a good mother, to have a good spiritual relationship with her husband, must have a husband... That has a good spiritual relationship with God. I find it interesting what it says here. Notice it does not say that Elkanah followed his wife to worship on the prescribed three times. (laughs) No, it says that he went to worship. As a matter of fact, the verse I just read doesn't even mention the fact that the wives were with him. It does later. But in this particular verse, it doesn't even mention that they were with him. See, he was doing what God said should be done not for his glory in the sight of others. He was doing what God said should be done for God's glory and God's glory alone. Man, I think there's a message in that for us. You want your wife to have a right relationship with you and with God? Guess what? It starts with you. It starts with you. Doing that which God has called you to do, being where God tells you you should be, acting in the manner with which God acts or tells you you should act. You see, this this right relationship spiritually with God came through a right relationship with her husband. It's easy to have a right relationship with a husband who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God because he knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's obedient to the call of God upon his life, and he does those things which glorify God. I don't think there's a mother or a wife in the room that wouldn't say, Amen, it's easy to follow a man who's following God. Amen. That's the message to us in this. And we see there that also in verse 4, we see in verse 4 that El- Elkanah and his wife had gone with him, and Penina had gone with him, because in verse 4 it says this, and whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. See, the point 
that is obvious from this text is that Hannah had a right relationship spiritually with her husband because she worshipped with her husband. She spent time before God with her husband. In order for a mother to be a godly mother, she must have a right relationship spiritually with her husband. You must be in, in tune together. You must be studying the word together. You must be worshiping God together. I think it's great that we have women's Bible studies. I think it's great that we have, like yesterday, the men got together for a fellowship that I couldn't stay for, but they got together and did some things. I think those things are great. But don't let those bypass the things you do together. See, studying the word together as husband and wife, as mother and father, grows leaps and bounds in families. Leaps and bounds in families. And the right spiritual relationship that she had to her husband led to the second part of the right relationship with her husband, and that was the relationship emotionally. You see, a right relationship with God started with her with a right relationship with her husband, and also this right relationship both spiritually but also emotionally. <laughs> Man, I'd have to say this is probably where we miss the boat sometimes. But look at what it says in verse 7. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, that she wept and did not eat. So what's it talking about there? Because she was barren, this Penina, the other wife with children, took every opportunity she could to provoke her, even when they were headed to the house of worship. That sounds like some of our car rides to church on Sunday morning, doesn't it? Seems like everything in the world goes wrong. I came in this morning, and Johanna, bless her heart, she wouldn't even tell me that I looked like I was still on the West Coast because somewhere along the way I'd forgotten to even fix my hair before I left the house this morning. But, you know, it just seems like when you're headed to the house of worship, you're trying to focus your mind upon God, things just come at you. To, you know, somebody cuts you off at the intersection. You're late in the car in front of you, he's driving slow. You can't, absolutely just can't get the kids dressed in time. You know, you put on your shoes, you can find one brown one and one black one, and you don't know where the other one or either one went. You know, it's no different here for, for Hannah. She's headed to the house of worship, but notice it says year by year. This wasn't a one-time occasion. This, this wasn't a single. I could imagine even reading between the lines with a little uh, spiritual intellectual uh, insertion here that the year by year meant every year maybe Penina showed up with another child and Hannah still had zero. As if keeping score, maybe the first year there was one. Penina said, I have a child and you have none. The next year maybe she had another one. Look, I've got two. You still at zero. And you can see the score being kept. And, and as Hannah's showing up, and she's showing up to, to worship, here's this Penina giving her a hard time. A hard time. And as if it wasn't enough, as if it wasn't enough to, to feel like she was out of favor with God because she wasn't having children, now she was being provoked. Matter of fact, it actually says in, the, in verse 6, right above that, it says, and her rival also provoked her severely and she did it with a purpose <laughs> to make her miserable because the lord had closed her womb so you see it says there was this rival so there was this this competition so to speak and verse 7 there that i read tells us that it just absolutely broke hannah's heart absolutely broke hannah's heart it says it, it literally brought her the tears and and she was so upset about it that she didn't even eat she didn't even eat 
Husbands, let me ask you a question. What do you do when you find your wife crying? What do you do when your wife's so upset that she can't even eat? How do you respond? You see, here's how I know she had a right relationship with her husband emotionally. <laughs> Look at verse 8. It says, In Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? You know what I think our tendency as men is to avoid anybody we see in tears because we really don't know how to handle it. Somehow it doesn't show up in the man card book, does it, guys? <laughs> Somehow when we see them upset, we don't know what to do. <laughs> you pat them on the head. <laughs> I, we just don't know what to do. But Elkanah come to Hannah and says, Hannah, why do you weep? He even goes on to say, why do you not eat? You know, there's a lot we can understand from those two questions. Number one, there was an emotional connection. But number two, husbands, we need to be observant sometimes around home, don't we? We need to be observant. Anybody raise your hand and say sometimes you just plain miss it when the signal's there? This Elkanah apparently was in tune with his wife to the point he could obviously see her crying, but to the second point that he noticed her appetite was gone. And then he put the pieces together and he asked this question, and why is your heart grieved? See, he understood that this was an emotional situation she was in that was affecting her physically, but it was coming from her heart. It was coming from her heart. And he makes a statement, am I not better to you than ten sons? I first read that, I'm thinking, that probably wasn't the statement to make. <laughs> you know, when Wendy's upset, I, you know, whatever she may be upset about, it's very rare, very rarely I ever have the guts to look at her and go, I know you didn't get that, but you got me. <laughs> I, just, I just saw a couple people shake their head, and you know why I don't say that? What prize would that be? What prize would that be? But that's what he says to her. Because of the right relationship he had with his wife, he felt the pain that she felt. This emotional connection they had caused him to feel the pain. He felt the sorrow. And he comforted her the only way he knew how. He comforted her the only way he knew how. He, he, didn't, he didn't try to fix anything. He, he didn't try to, to, to give her the rules and the regulations, explain the circumstances. He looked at her and what he was really saying when he says, am I not better than... To you than ten sons, what he's really saying is, Hannah, I love you. See, what he's really saying is, is, is I love you. How do we know that? Because in verse 5 it said that he had given her a double portion when it came time for, for worship. Why? Because he loved her. You know, sometimes wives and mothers just need to know that they're loved. I know we keep our grandson now quite often. Wendy the other week, for some oddball reason, thought it would be a great idea for her and, and someone to go somewhere and, and leave me at home with Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I hear the giggles in the back. You know what I realized? Between, between the, trying to figure out what they're going to eat, because one second it's some kind of gold-colored fish, the next second it was no, the 
pile of gold colored fish. We're going to give those to the dog because they now want yogurt. And halfway through the yogurt, we decided we wanted a pickle. And halfway through the pickle, we decided we wanted to go outside with the bubble blower mower thing that you pull bubbles in. And we, we pushed it about five foot and decided we were going back inside because we hadn't finished our yogurt. And by the time we got through it, it we were back outside to the bubble machine thing again. But we needed to bring the dog with us this time on the leash. And we were going to walk around the block, which he only wanted to go about halfway uh, down the block, which means I had to carry him halfway back up the block. Being a mom can be awful tiring. <laughs> you know, it, it sometimes when, when it hits them emotionally, you know what moms really just need to know? Somebody loves them. Somebody loves her. Whatever kind of came next to her, he just said, I love you. That's what he was really saying. I, I love you. I love you. Remember, Hannah, remember that, that even before God, I, I showed my love to you in the fact that I, I gave a double portion to you. What, what does a double portion mean? See, if you remember back as you, as you read through the history of the Old Testament, whenever a guest would be invited to come eat, they would be given a double portion of whatever it was. Why? Because they were important. They were the guests. And what he was saying to her is this, you're so important to me even before God that I give you this double portion because I love you. See, kind of demonstrated his love for his wife. It says, even though her womb was closed by honoring her in the presence of God. See, her physical condition didn't make any difference to Elkinah about this, this Hannah. Why? Because she had a right relationship with her husband spiritually and she had a right relationship with her husband emotionally. So when we think about the, the characteristic of a godly mom, that, that first characteristic of a godly mom is she has a right relationship with her husband. Who in this world we live in today wouldn't say that the world would be much different if husbands and wives had better relationships, had better relationships. Children today are growing up in conditions in homes that they should never have to see. And it's in their own home because mom and dad can't get along. What a difference would be made in the lives of children if mom and dad would get their act together. How can we do that? Spiritually be connected and emotionally be connected. But the second characteristic, the second characteristic of a godly mom, it's not only a right relationship with her husband, but more importantly, a right relationship with God. See, a right relationship with God starts with her presence before God. We talked about it there in, in verse 4. In verse 4 it says she went up to the house to worship. Apparently she did it year by year. It was never an easy journey. We think it's tough sometimes to drive 15 or 20 miles in a rain that was falling down this morning and to get out of the car and to make our way into the building with rain falling all around us, trying to juggle all the things that we had in our hands and hold an umbrella over top of us. Think about if you had to walk up into the mountains to go and worship. Think about if it was some distance and you had to go to, but it says that she went every year. She didn't depend on someone else's worship to bring her the blessing of God on her life. She wanted to be in the presence of God to worship in herself. The important thing for her was to be there in the presence of God. For at the time that this was written, the Ark of the Covenant said in Shiloh. And so where the Ark of the Covenant was, it was seen to be the presence of God. She wanted to be in the presence of God. So her, her right relationship with, with God started with the, the presence, being in the presence of God. But not only was it the presence of God, but notice that she participated in the worship. You see, verse 4 and 5 tell us that at the time of the offering, she was a participant. 
She didn't just sit in the back row and let others take care of things. She didn't volunteer to be in the, the nursery every week. She didn't, she didn't find some other noble activity to do within the church. She was in the worship. See, we got to understand, we can't let doing things for God come before the worship of God. See, God doesn't want a rule keeper. God wants a true worshiper. And what she did when she went with her husband was participate as she was part of that worship. And the fact that she was a participant in the worship with God shows that she had a right relationship. But the third thing, as far as her relationship with God, was this. Her relationship with God was shown in the fact that she prayed to God. When things in life go away that we don't want them to go, where, where things just go in a direction we never saw life going, when things come at us that we don't know how to control and we just never saw them showing up, where we turn for help tells a lot about our relationship with God. A lot. Look at verses 9 and 10. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Notice it talks about they would finish this eating. They had just finished. It says, it says that her soul was bitter. She couldn't wait. She couldn't wait for dinner to be over. She couldn't wait for that time of festivity to end so that she could spend time with her God and, and pour out her, her anguished heart that it says, the, and the, the bitterness of her soul just pour that out at the feet of her God. The only relief she knew that she could find was in spending time with the Almighty God. Mothers, ladies, even us men, when life deals us a blow that we don't know how to handle, where we turn tells a lot about our relationship with God. Her entire thought process was, I need to be in the presence of my God. So let me ask you, where do you turn when life gets you down? Where, where do you desire to be when things just don't go your way? Where do you run when everybody around you ridicules you? You know, sometimes we choose to fight back. Sometimes we choose to get help from our friends. Sometimes we choose to sit and complain about it. But notice what Hannah did. She's at the feast. Eli, the priest, is there, along with his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. The, the other worshipers are there. Why not turn to them? Why not ask for advice? Why not say, what can I do in this situation? Why not go to the priest and say, can you absolve me of whatever it is that keeps me from having a child? Why, why not all those things? She knew the only answer to her situation, the only answer to our situation when life goes south, is God. You see, she, she wanted to go to God in, in, in prayer. She wanted to spend time with God. Hannah turned to the only place that she knew that she would be heard. She turned to God in prayer. The fact that she prayed then showed that she had a right relationship with God. But fourth, the solemn promise that she makes to God also shows that she had a right relationship with God. Look at verse 11 with me very quickly. It says, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, 
but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Now, how many of you want to have a child this week and, uh, and decide that you're never going to allow him to cut his hair the rest of his life? <laughs> I know a couple people probably wouldn't mind not having to get a haircut, you know what I mean? There's... But here was this vow, this this vow she made. It was actually a Nazarite vow. You, you know, if you read other places in the Bible uh, that you see that. And she says if God would bless her with a son, she would give that son to him and his service, uh, for his service and for his good pleasure. She would raise him up. She would raise him up in, in the ways of God by this vow and, and to set him apart, to set him apart for, for God. In other words, she wouldn't look at what she wanted him to do to become a doctor or a lawyer. Or she would look, God, what do you want him to become? Yes, he may become a doctor or a lawyer, but God, if it's only if it's your will. She would set him apart for service unto God. The essence of what she was saying is the thing that I longed for, the thing that I longed for the most, that brought me such anguish that tears flowed from my eyes and I could not eat, that brought me ridicule from, from others, that brought people looking down on me, that thing that I've longed for the most to have completeness in my life, God... I'm willing to give to you. I'm willing to give that thing to you. If you would so honor me with a child, I will honor you with that child. And knowing that his presence in my life is a special work of your hand, God, knowing that I just have him in my life reminds me of just how good you are. And see, that, that was her that was her promise to God. Her promise to God is that she will give what is most precious to her for his glory. Mothers, are you willing to give that which is most precious to you for the glory of God? Are you willing to turn loose of that which you hold on to that brings you so much joy? It may be your, your child. It, it may be your money. It, it may be your husband released to, to do things in uh, God's service. Are you, are you willing to let go of those things because you understand God gave them to you and by giving them back to God, you are fulfilling that which he has in store for that that he has given you? You know, she was willing. She was willing to give this precious gift of a son back. Just say, God, he, he is yours. Her promise to God showed that she had a right relationship. And fifth, fifth, her right relationship with God is demonstrated, and this is a doozy, in her purity before God. In her purity before God. Look at verses 12 through 14. And it says it happened. As she continued praying before the Lord. That Eli watched her mouth. Now who was Eli? He was one of the priests. He was hanging out there by the, the doorpost it says. And he, it says that he, he watched her mouth. It says now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved. But her voice it was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her. How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Eli, the priest, had been watching Hannah as she prayed. He noticed that her mouth was moving, but he didn't hear anything. He didn't hear anything. I think at this time, the priests were probably used to most people coming to them when they prayed. And here was Hannah, off by herself. Over on the side, and her lips were moving, but, but there's nothing coming out. He decided... Man, she just came out of the feast. I guess she was in the bottle a little too long in there. He thought she was drunk. He thought that's what was causing her to, to, to be emotional and cry and that, and that she couldn't even speak. She was so drunk. There were no words coming out. So, so what does he do? Being the good priest, he, he approaches her to rebuke her for that which she had done. 
He comes up to, to rebuke her and, and he tells her, you need to put that bottle away. Look at what it's doing to you. You're an emotional wreck and you, you can't even get words to come out. Your lips are moving and there's no sound. That makes for an interesting thought. Have you ever noticed that when we're not where God wants us to be, we're very critical of how other people worship God? Have you ever notice that? You see, if you go on to read about Eli, you're going to find out he was priest by name, but he wasn't priest by action. <laughs> Look at what his kids did later in the book. And this, this Eli immediately prescribed the worship of God to be his way only. And seeing someone worshiping God in a very different manner, his immediate response was to rebuke them. Be careful. Be careful how you judge other people's worship. If it's a manner that is glorifying to God, it doesn't really matter if it's pleasing to us. The object is not to please me. The object is to please God. If someone had decided right in the middle of my message to come down to the altar because they were so heavy of heart and they wanted to come pray, do you think it would be a little uncomfortable? Yes. But you know what I want you to do if God does that? You come. You're not here to please me. You're not here to please the church. You're here to please an almighty God. We're not here to worship our styles or our schedules or our way of doing things. We're here to worship an almighty God. And that's what Hannah was doing. That's what she was doing. And she was doing it, it says, with a pure heart. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. What's she saying? She's saying, Eli, you don't understand. I, I haven't been drinking. You, you didn't hear words because I've been drinking. You didn't hear words because the only audience that I had when I'm praying, the only one that I knew that would hear my words didn't need to have verbal words because he heard my heart. He said, my, she said, my heart is, my spirit, my heart is sorrowful. It said, I just wanted to go before God and just pour out my heart. And it didn't require the, the useless verbiage for God could hear my heart. She said, I, I went to God with my heart, not with my words. For the first time, I think Eli got it right in verse 17, whatever he said this. And Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grants your petition, which you have asked of him. Notice he never asked. Eli never asked, what is it that you've been on your face before an almighty God about? What is it? I think he knew. I think he knew her anguish over the fact that she had no children and felt disgraced. And he says, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you. May he answer your prayer. Her relationship with God was a right relationship because it led her to purity of life. For some, when life goes south, they would have stayed at the feast a little longer with the wine than they had outside on their knees before an almighty God. For some, they would have leaned on a substance to dull the pain of whatever it was in their life instead of opening their heart to God to let Him do what He must do to fix our lives. For some, they would have chased women, drugs, alcohol, things, work, toys. That would have been the remedy for the pain in their life. Yet out of purity, she was driven before an almighty God with an open, honest heart and saying, God, I just, I just love you. If you bless me, he's yours. He's yours. 
So her right relationship with God was the right relationship because it led to this purity in her life. It led to this purity. And any right relationship with the Almighty God leads to purity in our lives. If our relationship with God is not leading us towards a pure life, something's wrong with our relationship. So what are the characteristics of a godly mother in closing? We're out of time. She'll have a right relationship with her husband. We saw that both spiritually and emotionally. But she'll also have that right relationship with God. She'll want to be in the presence of God. She'll want to participate in the worship of God. She'll, she'll be in continual prayer to God with an open, honest heart. She'll, she'll keep her solemn promises to God. And she'll stand on the promises that God has made her. And she will live a life. Live a life of purity before God. And I find it interesting, God's response very quickly. Look at verse 19. What was God's response to her? It says, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Notice, even after she has said this prayer, after she'd poured her heart out before God, in verse 18, it says that she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. See, Hannah fell on her face before an almighty God, poured out her heart, and she got up and was no longer sad. Did she get up with the son that she wanted? No. Did she get up with an answer to prayer? No. It says, as a matter of fact, she didn't run from God, she ran to God because the verse I just read in 19 said that they got up in the morning and they worshipped again. Got up and worshipped. And it says, then they returned home and it says, Elkanah knew his wife and it says, and the Lord remembered her. You see, God answers prayer. Not in our time frame, in His. How do we know He answered prayer? Look at verse 20. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son. You see, Santa, uh, uh, Hannah, when she fell on her face before God, outside of that feast, when Eli saw her and she prayed to God, she had faith that God heard her. She had faith that God heard and that God would answer in the way that was proper for God. Had he said, no, you're not going to have a child, I believe Hannah would have just been just as good with it as the fact that he said yes. And it says that God remembered her more than likely because of her faith, more than likely because of her faith not only in the worship, but her faith in placing that thing which was so out of her control that no one else could solve, but she placed it at God's feet, which is where it belongs. And it says that he remembered her. And immediately following the worship of God, Hannah conceived, conceived the son of promise. And it says God remembered her. And look what she did in the end of verse 20. It says, So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. What does the name Samuel really mean if you boil it down? The name Samuel means God has heard. What's the story of Hannah's life? Hannah's life leading up to Samuel was this, this story of right relationships. Right relationships with her husband because of a spiritual connection, an emotional connection, but a right relationship with God. 
because she wanted to be in his presence. She wanted to worship him. She wanted to participate. She wanted to pray to God. She wanted to depend on him. But most of all, she wanted to have faith in God. And God's response to her, he heard. God heard. You know, there's a message in that for godly mothers. I believe godly mothers have the ear of an almighty God. I really believe godly mothers have the ear of an almighty God. Probably within this room, if I ask for testimony, there's probably several within this room that know beyond a shadow of a doubt they've come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because their mother wore a hole in the floor on their knees praying for them. I know that's why. I know that's why I came to know Jesus. Because mom never gave up. Mom always asked God that I may come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And because she's a godly mom, God heard Mothers, I believe you have the ear of an almighty God. So the question then is, what are you asking God for today? What are you asking God for? Do the characteristics of your life show that you are a godly mother and you're in right relationship both with your husband and with God? Can you stand? Can you stand with the faith today to know that God will answer your prayers? I pray that the answer to that question is yes. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.